All right, so you can, if, as we take up our offering, uh, if you have a paper offering, you can drop your offering in the back. There's a black box on the wall back there that says give. You can drop it in there on your way out. Otherwise, the electronic ways you can give are up there on the screen. And you can head over to our website, meadowbrook.ca. There's a big button in the top corner there that says give that will walk you through how you can give there as well. Thank you as you give. God bless you as you give this morning. And we're going to be in Galatians chapter 6 today, so you can turn with me there or look it up on your device, Galatians chapter 6. Just in a little bit of church family news, uh, Tim Lumley did come home from the hospital, so thank you all who prayed into that. Um, So he's doing better and uh, and still is recovering, but you can continue to pray into that, but you can be uh, lifting him up as he continues to heal at home. Uh, We're also praying for Frank and Nettie Froze this week. Frank's mom passed away uh, this week, and so funeral is tomorrow, so we're praying into that as well. Uh, Coming up next week, this has been mentioned already, but next Sunday, whoops, we just jumped ahead a whole bunch. Uh, Baptism Sunday is coming up next Sunday, and so that's always an exciting time at church. We have five candidates who are going to be going into the waters next Sunday morning, and so uh, we encourage you to be here with us, celebrate with them, and cheer them on. You can be praying for them this week. That's always a a bit of a nerve-wracking thing, right? If you remember your own Baptism Sunday, to have to stand up, and you're sharing your testimony, and and you're going to be in front of everybody, and so we can be praying for the candidates. In addition to them, uh, who will also be joining church membership, we have 10 others who are joining church membership who we are also going to be welcoming next Sunday and so that's also an exciting thing so it's going to be a good Sunday next week we also have our end of the year barbecue happening right after the service as well so it's baptism and burgers and that's just a great day so uh, I don't know are we having burgers okay good Um, So you don't have to bring anything for this one. Sometimes we ask you to bring stuff as a potluck, uh, but this time it is donations because, as John mentioned already, uh, we are fundraising through the barbecue to both send Samdi to Thailand. As well, we have a team that's going to be going up to Moose Deer Point, which is a First Nations reserve that we're connected with through Derek Parento to do some work on their church building this summer as well. So, um, So as you give, it is going to that. And so we'll encourage you to come. There's no set cost. You give whatever you want. Everything over $100 will get a gift receipt and uh, yeah just encourage you to be generous as we support our missionaries and the trip that's going to go serve our missionaries up in northern Ontario so that will be next Sunday Um, as we also move through the service just want to again say happy Father's Day to all the dads out there Uh, we do have a little treat for you at the end of the service and that's not just for dads that's for all men whether you're a dad or not everyone 18 and up if you're a, a man you can grab a treat on the way out I understand it's delicious I don't know exactly what it is, but much thanks to Della and her team who have been making those things this week. I just know there were a couple of days this week where the church smelled really, really good. And so you can grab that on your way out the door. Uh, And dads, I hope you have a day where you feel appreciated and loved and celebrated. And we appreciate and love you and celebrate you as well. All right, here at Meadowbrook Church, we are helping people take their next steps with Jesus. Wherever you're at in your spiritual journey, we are here to help you along to move forward. The journey with Jesus is always moving forward. We are looking to grow. We are looking to mature. We are looking to expand and and grow in our understanding. And so we are wanting to help you take those next steps wherever you're at. We focus on that primarily three ways, upward, inward, and outward. Upward, we want to take our next steps upwardly and our connection with him, our commitment 
communion with him, our knowledge of him, our understanding with him. We want to be growing in that area. Inwardly, we want to be taking our next steps as he does his work in us to transform us, to make us more like Jesus. Outwardly, we want to take our next steps in living it out then and engaging with other people and loving and serving other people and bringing the gospel to other people. So we want to be taking our next steps upward and inward and outward. And as we explore that theme in lots of different ways at Meadowbrook, we've been in a series the last number of weeks that we're going to wrap up today called The Freedom Gospel. And we've just been walking through the book of Galatians, starting in chapter 1, verse 1. We're going to wrap up the end of chapter 6 today. If you've missed any of the messages, they are all online, and you can catch up there on our YouTube channel. But we just wanted to take a book of the Bible and work our way through it a little bit at a time. So for the last eight weeks or so, we've been working our way through Galatians. And as of today, you'll have done the whole book, guys. We'll have gone all the way through it from start to finish. And in the book of Galatians, my heart, as I was putting it together, was let's just refresh ourselves in how good the good news of Jesus Christ really is. Let's remind ourselves. Because if we're around church for a while, it's not that we ever forget, but it's just good to be refreshed. It's good to be renewed in it. We don't ever want to take it for granted. We don't ever want to be blasé about it. And so the good news is really, 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 really good news. And we just wanted to take a good chunk of time to celebrate how good the good news really is. The, the Bible says all of us have turned away from God in different ways, in an attitude that Scripture calls sin. All of us have gone our own way. Isaiah said we, like sheep, have wandered away from the shepherd. And because God is the source of all life, when we walked away from God in our sin, we got cut off from the source of all life. And so we got lost in our sin with death being all that's left. When you cut yourself off from life, death is all that's left. But God loved us too much to leave us there, and that's the best part of the story. He loved us too much to leave us there, cut off from himself, lost in our sin, lost in the darkness. And so in Jesus, God comes running after us to bring us back to himself. And Jesus goes to the cross and pays the price for our sin and solves the problem of our sin once and for all. And then he rises from the dead, solving the problem of our death once and for all, that anyone that would grab on to Jesus would reconnect with the power of God, reconnect with the life of God. God and sin and death would not be something you have to worry about ever again. It's good news. And so we wanted to celebrate the good news again. And that's one of the things that Paul does throughout the book of Galatians. And as we wrap up, uh, this story is all over the news uh, for sports fans, for hockey fans. Uh, so this is Austin Matthews. Leaf fans knew instantly who that was. They didn't need to be told that. And superstar for the Maple Leafs uh, was the first draft pick a number of years ago and has uh, been just a, a great performer for them. And Leafs fans are a little nervous right now, right? Because the contract is running out. And so he signed a multi-year contract worth a bazillion dollars. And uh, the contract is coming to an end in the next year. And so no one knows what happens next. Do the Leafs re-sign him for another contract? Will he leave and go somewhere else? There's a number of teams that seem to be interested in him. He can make a lot of money playing for the Leafs. He might be able to make more money somewhere else. And so every uh, Toronto-based news organization is talking about this a lot, even though it's a little ways off at this point. But it's part of the conversation. What will Austin Matthews do? 
And part of the problem is, is that now NHL teams have a salary cap. So there's only so much that they're allowed to pay on salary. So there's one pie that they have to divvy up amongst all their players. And so for every extra million you give to him, that's a million less that you can't give to somebody else. And so how do you build a team that's going to have not just a couple good players, but lots of good players? You got to share that money around. And so the question that he's getting bombarded with in the press is, hey, are you going to be a good guy and give up some money in order to stay in the team? Or are you going to be selfish and run away and, and, and go, you know, just serve yourself? And it's, uh, it's kind of not fair to treat the guy that way. I don't think he's going to figure it out. Uh, they got some time to work through it. But as they are, you know, debating this in the press, he's being pretty quiet on it. The team is being pretty quiet on it. There will be negotiations. We'll see what they figure out. But there's a, a call on him very publicly of, hey, you may need to, to give up something in order to really be a team player here. You may need to give up a little bit of money if you really want to be on a team that we want to grow and really make a cup contender, which we'll see if that ever happens in my lifetime. I'm, I'm not hopeful halfway through my life. <laughs> We're going to see a change in the second half, but we'll see. Miracles can happen. So as Paul is wrapping up Galatians, we're going to read our text in just a second. He is wrapping up this letter that, as we've talked about, at times has been pretty intense, right? At times, he's been very forceful. At times, he's been very parental with kind of a stern parental correction. At times, he's been fiery. At times, he's been a little sassy. And so there's been a lot going on in this letter. And now, as he comes to the end, to his, his final closing remarks, uh, the general tone as he comes to the end is, guys, you need to think about others beyond just yourself. If you're going to be a follower of Christ, if you're going to be part of a church family, it requires you to look beyond just yourself and look to the needs of others and not just focus on what you get, not just focus on what's best for you, but you look at what is best for your brothers and sisters in Christ. So let's take a look. We're in Galatians chapter 6. Let's finish off the book this morning. Galatians 6, starting in verse 1. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they're something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else, for each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit, from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus." 
The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. So as just a very brief recap, we've talked about this lots already. Um, The heartbeat of this book is that Paul had planted these churches in Galatia years earlier. He had started these churches. He'd gone into these cities who had never heard the gospel before. He had shared the gospel with them. People were getting saved, and they started these churches. And as these churches got started, Paul would stay with them for a while, and then he would move on because his heart was an evangelist and a church planter. And so he would move on and then continue to plant churches and, and continue to go on his journeys. So after Paul had left, he started the church, things were going well, he moved on. Some teachers had come in that sometimes get called the Judaizers uh, in Galatians. He calls them the circumcision group. And they had come in after him and they had said, actually, Paul is preaching an incomplete gospel. Paul preached that you put your trust in Jesus and you're saved. We would say you put your trust in Jesus and you have to follow the law really well and then you will be saved. And the law says you have to be circumcised. So all men should be circumcised as a sign of their faithfulness to the law, then follow the rules really well, and then you will be saved. And so as we've talked about through this series, Paul has no patience for that whatsoever. He says that's a false gospel. The gospel is not something that we make happen in any way. It's not something that we earn in any way. It's not something that if we follow the rules well enough, we are saved in any way. We've been saying this throughout the series. The gospel is Jesus Christ, not Jesus plus anything. That what Jesus did at the cross and in his resurrection is enough. It's all that you need to get right with God. And anyone who would suggest that you need to trust in Jesus plus do X, Y, and Z is preaching a different gospel. It's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so today it might not be so much about circumcision, but we always just want to be aware that whenever anyone is suggesting anything other than put your trust in Jesus as the way to get right with God, they are Adding to the gospel and an added to gospel is not the gospel. The gospel is Jesus Christ alone, not Jesus plus good works, not Jesus plus following the rules really well, not Jesus plus check off this doctrinal statement or else. None of those things. The gospel is Jesus alone, not Jesus plus anything. So as Paul is wrapping up, starting in verse 1, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. And so uh, there's some just kind of closing parenthetical type statements. He's trying to help them get along with each other. And so there's going to be sin that comes up for all of us at different points. But as this first verse, as we look at that, there's a character test, a check that shows up right away. So number one, first question, is how do you react when you see somebody in a sin? And the main question as it relates to Galatians 6.1 is, do you have a gentle heart towards that person? And if not, we are obviously falling short of what Scripture calls us to do. I was listening to a preacher this week talk about this passage And he was trying really hard to make sure uh, that the word gentle didn't actually mean the word gentle. (laughs) He was trying really hard. He's saying, well, I know it says gently, but that doesn't mean you can't be blunt. That doesn't mean you can't be forceful. That doesn't mean you can't get in someone's face. And I'm listening going, it does mean that. That's exactly what it means. Gentle means gentle, right? We know what that word means. We don't need to do backflips to try and make it mean something that it's not. It doesn't mean we ignore sin. It doesn't mean we pretend sin's not there. It doesn't mean that we don't speak the truth to a person, but we do it gently. 
and there's a warning there, watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Like, you're not that far away from that person, right? So there's no room for self-righteousness. There's no room to look down. And the word there for restore, you should seek to restore that person gently, is the same word that gets used like in setting a broken bone. And I broke my elbow years ago. I was at a cottage, and I fell down in the winter and wiped out on some ice and landed on my elbow. The elbow broke. And when we went to the local hospital, just a little hospital, uh, there was a guy who was looking after me, and he was doing the x-rays, and he had also broken his elbow. And so he's like, oh, man, I know what that feels like. And man, was he the gentlest guy ever. Like, he just like, okay, I know, sorry, I got to stretch it out. I know it's going to hurt, okay. And it, and it did hurt, but he took so much care. And then later, when I got sent to a different hospital to have the surgery, uh, that person obviously had not had a broken elbow before because they just grabbed me and went, and just pulled it out. And I'm like, oh, you know what? He gets it, right? Because he's been there before. And so he was gentle. This person, you know, they're doing their job, but they're just not thinking. They're, they just, they, they're not empathetic in that same way. And so if anyone is caught in a sin, when you see sin around you, uh, we cannot ignore it. That's not our job. We cannot be silent on it. That's not our job. Our job is to restore the person, to seek to find healing for that person, and to do it gently. Gentle is the tone. Gentle is the attitude, because that could be any one of us. And it's very, very easy for us to get angry at other people's sins. It's very, very easy for us to elevate ourselves and put others down. It's very, very easy for us, especially if it's a sin that's not something I particularly struggle with. But the call of Scripture is, no, you're not there just to even point out the sin. Right? It's no one's job just to say you're a sinner. That's not your job at all. It's your job to restore the person. And if you don't care enough to invest in restoring the person, then you don't care enough to speak up. Simple enough. No one's job is just to sit there and point fingers. If you see sin and you're calling it out, you are signing up to help that person find restoration, to help them find healing, to support their marriage, to be a blessing and say, all right, we, we want to help you through this. You need to leave your sin behind, but we're here to help you do that. We're on your side and we're gently going to walk through that with you. In our last sermon series on Jesus and the sinners, we talked about this passage a lot from Matthew chapter 7, Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So again, it's not saying when we see sin in others that we are silent. The goal is we want to get that out of your eye, right? We, we want to help you through this. We want to set that bone. We want to help you find healing. We want to work through it. But how are we doing it? The measure in which you judge others, it will be measured back to you. So there are times as a pastor where I need to say, hey, that sin, that needs to stop. Let's figure out a way forward. I would like to think I'm always gentle in it because that's how I would want to be treated if I was getting called out on something. That's how I would want to be treated if there was something there that needed to be addressed. And so with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. There is no room for self-righteous judgment when it comes to sin towards others. There's, there's no room for that. We have a heart to fix that. We have a heart to restore. We have a heart to bless. We have a heart to do it gently. 
and not aggressively or arrogantly or brutally or intensely. And again, if you're not signing up to help the person, then you might as well keep your mouth shut because that's not your job. It's not your job to call it out. It's your job to restore the person. If you don't care enough to sign up to restore the person, then you don't care enough to speak up about it. Moving on. We're off to a great start. Verse 2. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. So tied in directly to the sin thing, right? When someone's in sin, carry that person's burdens with them. When their marriage is struggling, carry the burden with them. Come alongside, check in on them, try to get them help. If you can't help them, find them some help. Find ways to support and encourage and bless. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. So another question for you, how well are you doing at carrying another person's burdens? Because it's really easy to sit back and notice the burdens and do nothing. It's easier to sit back and get self-righteous about the burdens that they're carrying that maybe they've brought on themselves. But that's not a qualifier in this passage. Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. This whole book has been wrestling with the law, right? And then where does the law fit in? God's law, God's commandments and obedience. What does that look like? And Paul has this way of just kind of simplifying it. He said earlier in the book, we're not ruled by the law anymore. We don't associate with God primarily through the law anymore. We can go straight to Jesus ourselves. We don't need that buffer, that babysitter there anymore. But that doesn't mean there's no obedience. That doesn't mean there's no commandments. It just gets reframed in a different way. When you carry each other's burdens, you fulfill everything God wants you to do. When you love one another, when you serve one another, when you bless one another, when you encourage one another, then you know what? You don't need to memorize the 613 pieces of the law that tell you how to treat one another. When you love one another well, you will do those things automatically. When you love one another well, you will obey what God wants you to do. And so life is hard. There are burdens everywhere, and everybody needs help along the way. No one can get out of sin entirely by themselves. No one can figure out Jesus entirely by themselves. No one can understand the word entirely by themselves. No one can get through the struggles of life entirely by themselves. We need one another. And so our job when we see someone struggling is to come alongside. How can I support? How can I encourage? How can I pray? Church should be a place where burdens are shared. It should be a place where we can come and say, hey, I know there will be some people who will come alongside me. In this difficult, challenging, scary world, church is a place where people will come alongside me. And it might be as simple as just coming up for prayer at the end of the service. It might be as simple as asking for help. It might be as simple as uh, we always find that when people join life groups and get connected in that way, there's just a very natural burden sharing that happens. You don't even really need to ask. You just need to say, I'm going through this, and people will be there. Uh, So, you know... In terms of church life, you have to connect yourself to a certain extent. But there's a a call that we all are going to support each other in this and walk through this together. Verse 3 to 5. If anyone thinks they're something when they're not, they deceive themselves. Love it. Paul's sassiness can be great sometimes. If you think you're something when you're not, you're self-deluded. You're deluded in, in that. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Now, he's just said carry each other's burdens, and now he's saying carry your own load. But when he's saying carry each other's burdens, he's meaning the sins and the struggles of life. When he's saying carry your own load, he's meaning in terms of how you view yourself. 
He's saying, don't take on someone else's example. Don't take on someone else's uh, you know, picture of what you think you should be. Uh, carry your own load. You are your own person in that way. God created you a certain way. You're not like other people. So you shouldn't be comparing yourself to others. And so, again, just another question for us. How are you doing at the comparison game? The most tempting of, of human endeavors is to measure myself by looking at the other people around me. And to take that time to look at how I'm doing in life, how I'm doing as a husband, how I'm doing as a parent, by looking at other parents. But here's what happens when we start to do that that's unhealthy. Is that when I start to judge my parenting by looking at all the other parents around me, there's one of two things that can happen. One is I look at Mike as a parent and I go, man, he's such a better dad than me. Look at him. He's so hands-on. He's so committed. He's so involved. I'm a really garbage dad. And you start to lower yourself and beat yourself up and, and lose your hope and lose your trust ultimately in the Lord in that moment. So that's the other thing that can happen. Or I can look at Mike and I can say, I'm doing a way better job than that guy. Man, I'm doing, I'm doing great. I, I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect. Christians like to say that. I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect. It covers up whatever awful thing we're going to say next. Hey, listen, I'm far from perfect. I'm a sinner, guys. We're all sinners. Hey, I'm a sinner, but man, I'm a better dad than that guy. I'm a better mom than that lady. And that's the ungodliness of comparison that Paul's talking about. There's just two things that come out of it. We either start elevating ourselves in pride and arrogance, or we start lowering ourselves in self-pity, and neither one of those things are good. So there is a good kind of comparison that can happen. There is a sweet spot there where I look at Somdi and I go, man, Somdi prays like nobody I know. I want to pray more like Somdi. And I'm going to take some steps in order to do that. The Apostle Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Like, follow my example, not in my sin, not in my weaknesses, but as you see me following Jesus, follow my example there. So there can be a healthy comparison where we look at the people around us that God has put in our lives, and we say, wow, I admire that person. I want to be a dad like them. I want to be a, a wife like them. I want to be a leader like them. I'm going to learn from them and follow their example. That's the good kind of comparison that can be healthy because it's motivating us to move forward and I'm neither elevating myself or beating myself up but so often we don't get there and so Paul says yeah guys let's not do that like let, let's not fall into the comparison game where you are spending your time either thinking you're better than other people or beating yourself up because you feel worse than other people that's just not a great motivator in life that's not a good way to do it and so we, he says look at yourself look at where you are at Look at where you've come from. There's an old saying that you should only be comparing yourself against yourself yesterday and not anybody else today. Right? Where have I come from? What am I growing in? Where am I advancing in certain ways as I follow after Jesus? Where was I at six months ago or a year ago or five years ago or ten years ago? What work is he doing in my life? He wraps up this little section in verse 6. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. I love that verse. That's talking about me. Or anyone in your life who is there. Anyone who's a pastor, a leader, a, a teacher. And it's always a bit weird when you're a pastor because it can feel self-serving to talk about this verse. But I'm actually on my way out in a little while, so I can speak boldly about it now uh, because it doesn't really apply to me at this point anymore. But I can set up the next guy really well and just encourage you onward that the leaders of the church, including your board, including your pastors, uh, these people all work so hard for your sake. 
They work so hard, and almost all of it is unseen. It's behind the scenes. And they pray, uh, and I, I said this when I announced my resignation a few weeks ago, at this moment in this season, uh, like our staff is the healthiest I've ever seen it. The board is the healthiest that I've ever seen it. The staff and the board working together is the healthiest I've ever seen it. Uh, and it's honestly, I think, because everyone is praying like crazy, and everyone is willing to say, I don't need to get my way. Whatever God is saying to the church, whatever is best for the church, everyone's willing to lay down, uh, which doesn't happen everywhere. And so there's a wonderful, beautiful thing. uh, And they are giving their time, our board members, especially because they're all volunteers and they are serving you out of that volunteer heart. Uh, Just a wonderful group of people. And so their job is to lead you and to serve you. Your job is to share good things with them. And, and that can be, of course, yeah, we're tithing because we're supporting the salaries and all those kinds of things. But I think also it can just be as simple as a thank you. It can be as simple as a text or an email. It can be as simple as, uh, you know, we're praying for you, all these little things. Uh, their job is to serve you. Your job is to support and encourage them. Uh, and as we head into a time of transition as a church, they're going to need that in a particular way. There's, they're just going to need that love and that support and that patience. And I will call upon you to give that freely because they give so much to you. And, and they love you and support you. Uh, and that's how you can love and support them in return. Moving on, verse 7 and 8. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. So we talked about flesh previously in the series. That's our our sinful side that is still wrestling to become like Christ. It's the side of us uh, that, although has been forgiven uh, in our natural state, that still struggles with sin, that still wants what it shouldn't have, uh, that's our fleshy side that we continue to struggle with, even as we are saved. And so God cannot be mocked, and, and Paul ties it into this picture. Uh, that's just very easy for everyone to understand. The question for us here is, what are you sowing into? Are you sowing into what the flesh wants? Are you sowing into what God wants? And if you sow corn into a field, you're not going to get Brussels sprouts. You're going to get corn, right? If you sow carrots into a field, you're not going to get beans. You're going to get carrots. Whatever you sow, that's what you reap. And so God has set it up in this way where he's given us the ability to choose and he's given us that freedom to choose, but he also wants to make clear whatever you choose will have consequences for good or for bad. So what are you choosing to sow into? And if you sow into the flesh, which everybody does to some extent, you will reap the consequences of that. And and we've talked already about sin, you know, pulls us away from God. It pulls us into ourselves. It it hardens our hearts. It damages our marriages. It does. There's all sorts of destructive qualities to sin. If we don't turn away from it and we don't grab onto Jesus, sin ultimately leads all the way to death. That's, That's the only result. That's the ultimate destruction. But even if we're not that far down the road, even if we've grabbed onto Jesus, if I continue to sin in my life, there will still be consequences for that sin. I'm not going to lose the love of God, but there's going to be consequences just in in whatever I do. Like these are bad things that we do. And that's why God says, don't do them. God says, stay away from these behaviors. They're not good, healthy behaviors. And when we walk in these things, it damages our walk with God. It damages our relationships. It damages our heart. It damages our mind. So God says, if you want to sow into those things, you can. You have that freedom, but you will reap the consequences of those actions. And likewise, when you sow into the things of God, you will reap the consequences of those actions, and those are just better consequences in case you miss the point. 
What are you choosing to sow into? And if you're sowing into the not good things, what's it going to take for you to change, to stop sowing into that and start sowing into something better? And he frames it all that ultimately, as you sow into the things of the spirit, you will reap eternal life, that we have to have a bigger picture than just what do I want in this moment or what will feel good right now. We have to have eternity in mind and we are sowing towards that. We are aiming towards that. We are moving towards that. We are following after Jesus towards that. Verse 9, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Sometimes doing the right thing kind of sucks. And we know it's the right thing maybe, but sometimes you do the right thing and you go, there's no reward in this. There's no good feeling in this. I'm doing the right thing and it's maybe hard to do. Maybe it requires some sacrifice. But the, the reward is not always instant when you do the right thing. We know this just very easily where Jesus did nothing but the right thing and yet still had to go through a cross, still had to go through Gethsemane, still had to go through the the separation from God. Uh, So doing the right thing doesn't always right away bring a positive result. And I think often when we sow into the flesh, the flesh very quickly gives us some sense of reward or good feeling or whatever. So sometimes doing the right thing doesn't automatically right away bring the the reward. And yet the encouragement here is don't become weary nonetheless. Don't become weary in doing the right thing. Don't get tired of choosing the right path. Don't get tired of sowing into the right thing because at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. So there's a qualifier there. If we give up, we will lose out on the harvest, but God is the God of seasons. And so the question is, are we persevering to do the right thing? Even if we're not seeing the results right away, are we being faithful to sow into the kingdom? Are we being faithful to sow into the spirit? Are we being faithful to go down the right track, even if we don't see it? God is the God of seasons. And the farmers in our church will tell us one way or another, harvest time is coming right? It's, it's never been skipped once in the history of all creation. Harvest time will come. It can look a lot of different ways, but the fall is always coming regardless. God is the God of seasons. And so for farmers, there is a season of sowing, and then there is a season of waiting, and then there is a season of harvest. And so Paul says, as you seek to do the good thing, even if you're in that waiting time where you maybe haven't seen the good results yet, just keep trusting and waiting and doing the right thing. Because as surely as the sun rises, harvest is coming when we're faithful to keep pursuing. If we don't give up, if we don't give up, the harvest will come. So there's an encouragement with a touch of warning in Paul's words there as well. Verse 10, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Here's that old preacher's joke. When the Greeks used the word all there, I looked it up and it meant all. It's exactly what it meant. Do good to all people, especially those belonging to the family of believers, but all people. So whether they're believers or not, do good to everybody. Christians should be known in this world as people who do good. To everybody. That should be part of what marks us. That we are doing good to all people. Yes, we are loving our church family. We are loving and supporting one another. And so question, are you doing good to all people? 
Because sometimes as Christians, we can just get very inward focused and we say, well, I'm doing a lot of really good for, for my church family, for my Christian friends. Uh, and that's good, but that's not all, people. That's, that's just your immediate church family. So are we doing good to all people? That's something that we should be known for. So yes, our brothers and sisters need our support. We carry each other's burdens. As we carry each other's burdens, we fulfill the law of Christ. That's a wonderful promise and an encouraging statement. But are we beyond that? For those who don't know Jesus yet, are we loving them, supporting them? Are we carrying their burdens? Are we showing them God's goodness through what we are doing? Jesus said, let your light so shine before men so that they will see your good deeds and give glory to your Father in heaven. There's something about when we live out the goodness of God, people notice that, both inside the church and outside the church, and it points ultimately to the God in heaven that we worship and are wanting to point to in our lives. So one of the ways that we witness is by doing good to all people. One of the ways we love the world is by showing them that love in a very practical way. And so, yes, we love and support and carry the burdens of our church family, but not just our church family, all people as well. Verse 11, see what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. So what's probably been happening uh, and we see this in other letters that Paul wrote, is that he would dictate the letter. So he would, he would recite it, and somebody would write it down. And it seems what's probably happened at this point in the letter, as he gets to the final few verses, he's writing the last part himself. And so he's putting his personal handwriting, his personal signature on it, so that they know it's really him who's doing the writing. I've mentioned to you before, there's a few verses, and it has been speculated by scholars, uh, probably or possibly anyway, that Paul uh, was either blind or partially blind or had some sort of eyesight issues. Uh, we've seen that already earlier in the book of Galatians where he talks about, hey, when I first met you guys, I was sick and you took care of me. And I swear if you could have, you would have torn out your own eyeballs and given them to me. Uh, verses like that have made scholars speculate. You know what? Paul maybe had some vision problems. This would be another verse they would look at to support that, that perhaps because he couldn't see well, he was just writing especially big and maybe that was kind of his trademark. So he's saying, okay, so guys, you know it's me. I'm writing with my own hand. Part of the way you know that is because the letters are humongous because you know I don't see very well. So that's just free, interesting information. That doesn't have a ton to do with the sermon, but just free a charge, the service here at Meadowbrook Church. That's all for you. Verse 12. Now Paul comes back to the, the main theme of the book. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. And so the Jewish people at the time were a majority religion in that part of the world. The Christians were very much a minority, and the Jewish people were persecuting the Christians, and part of it was because the Jewish people believed so much in circumcision and following the law, that if you want to please the Lord, you get circumcised and you obey the law, and that's how you get right with God. And so there were these Christians who were kind of caught between the two worlds. They were believing in Jesus, and yet they were grabbing onto some Old Testament stuff, and they were kind of fusing it together into this new gospel that says, yes, you trust in Jesus, yes, his cross and resurrection, but also the law on top of that, so everyone needs to be circumcised. And the Jewish people revered the ceremony. It was the, the sign given to Abraham that marked you as you belong to God. It was the covenant that was being marked through this, this very intimate act of circumcision. And it was the sign to the world that you were a holy people because no one else in the world got circumcised at the time. 
And so it marked God's people as different and holy. It was a sign of the covenant, the promise that God had given to Abraham. And so in a way, I can sort of understand with some compassion where the early Jewish Christians kind of struggled with what do we do with all this, right? They were, they were wrestling through it. The early church wrestled through it throughout the book of Acts. But Paul wants to make unequivocally clear that it doesn't have anything to do with your standing with God. He ties it into this idea that like nobody ever has been able to follow the law perfectly. No one has been able to do that. No one has been able to to follow every command that God wants. And yet these guys are trying to get you circumcised so they can go around to the Jewish people and say, hey, we got a bunch of those Christians circumcised. They, They just want to boast in these things that are really just all about the flesh. It's us trying to earn our way back into right standing with God. So if you're circumcised, you're trying to earn your way back into his favor by your actions. And if you're trying to say you have to follow the law or else, you're trying to earn your way back by your own efforts, by your own ability. You're trying to make it happen with God. And that is the opposite of what the gospel is. The gospel is God did it for you. He did it for you, and he did it entirely. There is nothing that you need to do from here. So these Judaizers, this circumcision group, they are are wanting you to be circumcised so that they can just boast, hey, we got them back to the law, guys. We got them back to trying to make it right with God by their own efforts. And that's absolutely the wrong thing, Paul says. And he wraps up with this great line, uh, verse 14, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So if I'm going to boast, if I will boast in anything, I'm going to boast not in anything that I do, not in anything that I can accomplish. I'll boast in what Jesus did because of what Jesus did. That's why I'm saved. That's why I'm different. That's why I'm transformed. That's why the sins and pleasures and drawing of the world doesn't affect me in the way that it used to. That's why I don't live under that anymore. I will not boast in anything I do or anything that we can do. I will boast only in what Jesus has done. I will boast in him and his cross and his resurrection. I will boast to the world about that. Because that's not anything I did. That's the cross, the gospel that was done for me, the salvation that was done for me, that God saved me. And so I will boast in the cross forever. I will boast to the world about that. Because if I'm boasting in, well, I got circumcised and then I followed the Ten Commandments pretty well, I'm boasting in myself in that moment. I'm boasting in what I think I can accomplish. But Paul wants to make very clear, as we've said over and over again, the gospel is just Jesus. And what Jesus has done is not anything we earn or anything that we add to. It is all about him. He nails it again, verse 15. Neither circumcision or uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. So whether you get circumcised or not, like it doesn't matter. Are you being transformed? Are you dying to the world? Are you being renewed in your understanding? Is your mind being renewed? Is your heart being transformed? Are you increasingly looking like Jesus? Is over time more fruit coming into your life by the Holy Spirit? Are you changing? Is that what's happening? That's the sign. It's not circumcision. The sign that someone's walking with Jesus, the sign that someone is right with God is that life starts to change. Priorities start to change. Sin starts to leave. Holiness and righteousness start to increase. The new creation is what matters. 
And so Paul would, uh, as he, again, just laying again that, that clear foundation of the gospel. Um, I mean, this would be a shocking thing to hear for a Jewish person at that time, right? Who for thousands of years has leaned on circumcision as the ceremony that symbolizes this connection that we have with God. And yet Paul says that that ultimately doesn't matter. You can be circumcised and still be far from God. And lots of Jewish people were. That, and we see that in the Old Testament. Lots of times that, you know, God's getting frustrated with Israel and, and even judging and, and, and bringing discipline to Israel. And, and they're all circumcised. Like all of them have been through the ceremony. So he's saying the ceremony itself doesn't matter. Are you walking with the Lord? Are you turning things around? Are you choosing a better way? And 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. And we're in this journey of transformation now. Nobody is perfect yet, but we're in this journey of transformation where there was a day we said, Jesus, I'm following after you. I need your forgiveness, and and I'm coming after you. I trust you. And then that was the day that things began to change. And so there's the old sinful person that we were. There's the perfect person that will be entirely when we see Jesus face to face. And we're in that in-between stage now where we are moving and changing more and more into who God already says that we are. We are leaning into the new creation and we are becoming who he has caused us to be. So this is so important. If you take nothing else away from today, take away this. This is a struggle that we will still have. That the, the circumcision group was coming in and saying, in order to be right with God, you need to do X, Y, and Z. And there's this pull constantly for all of us. We might not have a circumcision group today, but there's a pull constantly that says, in order to uh, get this right, in order to even be the new creation, I need to work harder and work harder and work harder at obedience, right? I need to, those are the commandments. I got to work harder at obeying those commandments. These are the things I'm doing wrong. I got to work harder at those things that I'm doing wrong. And of course, there is effort involved, but God, his solution to the sin problem was not, hey, I'm going to uh, send Jesus to the cross that forgives your sins. I'm going to rise him from the dead to overcome death for you. And now you're just going to keep working really, really hard to do the right thing. And it's not even, I'm going to give you my spirit and he's going to help you work really, really hard to do the right thing. Here's God's solution to the sin problem. The sins get paid for at the cross, and then God says, you know what? I'm going to transform these people into the type of people who obey. That's his solution to the sin problem. Not work harder, work harder, work harder. I'm going to transform you. And he calls us to obedience. Obedience is still his end goal, but it's not just, well, here's the list of rules that you broke, so you need to work harder at obedience. God says, I will transform you into the type of people who obey. By my spirit, I will make you different people. And we talked about last week, when we talked about the fruit of the spirit, it wasn't a bunch of righteous actions. It was a bunch of deeper, profound character qualities like love and peace and patience that our job is as we connect with him, as we dig into the word, as we are refilled and refilled and refilled with the spirit, we are transformed into the type of people who want to obey. And are not striving, 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 work harder, work harder, work harder, earn it, earn it, earn it. No, we are filled with the spirit. We are transformed by the spirit into the type of people who want to obey and who live that out. I've said this to you many times before. The solution to most problems in life is be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
And then you'll have all the peace that you need. You'll have the revelation and understanding that you need. You'll have the strength that you need. And he will transform you so that you actually begin to live out what he wants you to do because he is doing it in you. And not because you are earning, 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 striving, 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 working, 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 all on your own to try and make that happen. For 16, almost done, peace and mercy to all who follow this rule to the Israel of God, this rule of the new creation. For everyone who is seeking after Jesus, for everyone who is trying to, to, to connect and commune with him, to everyone who is being filled with the Holy Spirit, peace and mercy to all who are, are seeking him that they may be turned into the new creation, to the Israel of God, and that phrase just meaning to the people of God. Israel in the Old Testament being his chosen people, the Jewish people. Now anyone who grabs onto Jesus is welcomed into that same family. Anyone who is the new creation is part of the family of God. We are all uh, Israel in that sense. We've been adopted in to God's family. Verse 17, from now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Uh, Paul's life was not uh, an easy life as he shared this gospel. He would be persecuted by the Jews. He'd be persecuted by the pagans. He'd be persecuted by the, uh, the official authorities. He'd be persecuted by religious authorities. And he would talk about this uh, at great length in 2 Corinthians 11, where he just kind of goes through a bit of a list of, here's what I've been through to preach this gospel. And I've been, you know, flogged five times, and I've been stoned, and I have been beaten with rods three times, and I've been shipwrecked, and I've been through this, and I've been through that. All of these things have happened because I preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was beaten and battered everywhere. So when he says, let no one cause me trouble, I bear on my body the marks of Jesus, he's saying, like Jesus, I have suffered to follow after God. I have the scars on my body to prove it. Jesus in heaven still has the scars of Calvary uh, to, to testify to his suffering. So Paul's saying, hey, guys, just, just remember how I've suffered for this thing, okay? Like, listen to me. Take me seriously. I've, I've gone through a lot in order to bring this message to you. Let no one cause me trouble. And, and he would talk about his critics had not been through. Uh, he would talk about this in Corinthians. My critics have not been through what I've been through. They have not paid the price that I've paid. They have not suffered like I've suffered. And so just trust that I have given my whole life and my body and my soul to this gospel. Don't give me a hard time. I've been through a lot to bring this gospel to you. I bear on my body the scars of suffering for doing what God wants me to do. Come on up, worship team. We're just about ready here. Last verse, verse 18. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. And that's a fairly typical type of ending for one of Paul's letters. It's kind of the, the signature line, um, and it's the call of grace. And I tell you, I think I probably pray for grace more than just about anything else. And when I pray for you, I pray for grace. Just the blessing of God, the undeserved favor of God, the mercy of God, uh, the, the love of God, all wrapped up in that beautiful word of grace. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. May it just settle down into the deepest part of you. Uh, may it keep you and protect you. May it walk with you there. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. And with that, that is a series wrap on the freedom gospel. Guys, we did Galatians. Galatians is a man. I, you probably felt it. I certainly felt it in the prep. I, I got, you know, chapter one was okay. I got into chapter two and I went, man, this is way deeper than I was thinking when I started. There's a lot of richness in this book. There's a lot of depth. 
uh, there's a lot to it. But we just did the whole thing from Galatians 1.1 all the way to the end of Galatians chapter 6. Uh, I hope it's been helpful for you. Um, I still have a number of Sundays left, but this will be my last sermon series at Meadowbrook Church. And that wasn't known even when we started it. Um, but in retrospect, I go, I'm really glad that my last official series was just the gospel. What a way to, to wrap up. I'm very pleased. God knew some things, obviously, at that point that even I didn't know. But, um, but just to end celebrating how good the good news really is, is just such a good way to wrap up. So I hope it's been helpful for you. If you want to chat about it uh, more, we certainly can. But I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet, please, as we get ready to close in worship. As we reflect on how good the good news really is, is um, let's say thanks let's bless our father on this father's day with some worship as our gift to him today